I was a uh, practicing clinician working in a home health agency model. I wasn't allowed to dose my patients as per best practice guidelines. So I said, there's gotta be a way to do this better. My, my grandmother and my grandfather, I started seeing them going in and out of long-term care. It started personal seeing the sick side of 80, and now it's been exciting to be part of Fox. Light bulb moment, like that's a complete game changer. You can see what we can do as a practice and as treating clinicians to really make 80, 85 look so much different than it did back that long ago. And boil it down into one say, it's quite simply this, it's be stronger, live better longer. Welcome to Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast, the podcast dedicated to clinicians who work with older adults. My name is Jim Shear, and today I have not one, but two guests. Please welcome to the Live Better Longer podcast, Harrison Kirch and Rachel Glazer Cherwadi. Yeah. Both, both physical hey. therapists. And I got to point out, Harrison, Rachel has 11 years on you. She has been with right. Fox for 14 years. <laughs> Yeah, hey, hey, that's pretty impressive. But you know, I'm yeah. I'm glad to be here, and I'm I'm glad to you know be in such great company and experience. So it's, it's like yeah. best thing I could ask for. You know, where did you, where did you two meet? When did so you we, meet? How do you know each both, other? We both work for Pennsylvania Lehigh Valley Team One, and during the pandemic, Harrison was less than full time, and as my caseload would get better, I was able to pass in some patients. So originally when we were communicating, it was over patient care. Um, but this year when we were more together, I nabbed him in January and I said, <laughs> hey, I just read that if you're over the age of 40, you should have a mentor who's under the age of 30. And so I said, you're going to be my mentor. And he was like, what? So uh, Harrison and I have been pace buddies this year, and we've been doing lots of cool things together, and this is another opportunity for that. Yeah, for those mm -hmm. that don't know, within Fox Rehabilitation, we have a program called PACE, which stands for Professional Academic Clinical Excellence, clinical. Mm -hmm. and you get certain points throughout the year mm -hmm. for doing a podcast or writing a blog article. So I I'm glad that you have uh, a buddy system going. Like Rachel said, it was kind of like, uh, me being a mentor, like for her, but you know, it's it, it works both ways too. As as you heard, she has you know eleven years on me as well, so it's I get a different perspective, you know, from her experience and you know me starting out right when the pandemic hit, it was extremely difficult. So it's sure. been a good experience so far, just you know building that relationship and you know helping us become better clinicians together. So I think everyone can learn no matter where you're at. So, yeah, I yeah. like that. So today we're going to talk about therapeutic alliance. So let's let's break it down. Therapeutic alliance is a patient therapist relationship, correct? Yes. All right. So how do, how do you begin? Honestly, for us, we both primarily do house calls. So our first step is going to be getting that patient referral and reaching out. You know, your first moment to build alliance is that first time you reach out. And I would say even in the last year or two, that process is changing for me. Frequently, I'll make that phone call. I'll leave my first message and I don't always get a call back. So now I start texting people and I'm like, hi, my name is Rachel Glazer Cherwadi, physical therapist <laughs> from Fox Rehabilitation. And oftentimes now I'm getting people texting me back before they call me back. 
Really? So I think that's kind of a, an interesting change in communication styles. It is. It um, is. But honestly, Therapeutic Alliance is really that first moment of connection. And then it's just going to grow when you're actually face to face. So I like that, mm -hmm. that you're building a connection from the first time you communicate. Yep. Mm -hmm. And yeah, what, are, what are you looking to establish when you reach out to a patient for the first time? Mostly, I would say a sense of empathy that you're on their side, that your job is to help them get better. And most people are going to respond favorably to that. And Harrison, mm -hmm. is it different for every patient? Oh, absolutely. And right when right when you get on the phone with someone or just like when you first establish that first connection, you hear like, oh, hello. And it's like you can tell like right when they respond, it's like, oh, yeah, I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting to hear for your call. And like, you know, when those patients are like, oh, they're ready to hear you. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm so excited. Like they're they're already like they already have a good perception of like what therapy does and what can do for you. But then you have those people that are like you go in and like, hey, who is this? It's like, oh. I was going to get therapy. So you kind of have to also kind of go on and just, you know, show that, you know, what we can do can help them. So it, it really does start from the start and especially how they respond to you. That's like the most important thing and how you do get to respond. So we're advocates, but also like, Hey, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Yeah. Harrison, you sent me an article and then you mm -hmm. broke down an outline. So first of all, thank you for that. Like Harrison took mm -hmm. this podcast very seriously, but within it, <laughs> You talked about therapeutic difficulty. So what is therapeutic difficulty? I think I'd probably say therapeutic difficulty is basically just like um, when it comes to, you know, alliance, it's like what we're doing is like when we have a good relationship, we're both open, you know, we're trying to establish a therapeutic difficulty. I'd probably say is even just that reversal. You know, when you go in, Therapeutic difficulty, it could just be like a patient goes in, they're not receptive. They're basically, it's basically anti everything that we're doing. Once we're in there, there is that, like, it's basically like a zone where you get and you see that one patient and it's like, no, it's like, we're not doing this. Like, I can't do this today. We're not doing it. It's like, it's just basically kind of like a conglomerate of things that we have to deal with and they kind of like throw ourselves at. And it's just, you know, taking that away and just basically kind of shifting the patient from where they were at in a negative standpoint and shifting to one towards a positive one. So that's why it's so important for us to you know, do that therapeutic alliance. So I think oftentimes our patients feel unheard. And as the therapist, we really are in a wonderful space that we can take time and sit there for an hour and talk to them while we're also doing something therapeutic. Mm -hmm. But honestly, uh, one thing that struck me from one of the continuing educations we did by Craig Pfeiffer is that 76% of our patient exam should be from the history and 12% should be your physical exam. So I think mm -hmm. we feel rushed to gather data and get get more things measured and um when i started working back in 1999 i i felt that the one thing i could afford to give my patients was my time because i didn't have expertise i was a novice and uh, that hasn't completely shifted for me yet i won't say time management is my stronghold but i do think giving our time and talking to our patient and really making them feel like we're on their team may help shift out of that therapeutic difficulty especially in that initial 
um, communication with your patient. Clearly, we all have patients that are difficult even as time goes on. And there's lots of reasons why. But I think, again, one place that we can really shine is giving them time to communicate with us and really finding out what is the problem here? What really happened and how do we get past that? Um, the other thing I really appreciated about this concept of therapeutic alliance is understanding that our patients are not just one thing. They're not just a physical problem. They're a whole package. And if we're not looking at their mental, emotional wellness, their physical wellness is not going to stay better for long. So we all know that if you have someone who's highly depressed or anxious, they don't move the same. So you've got to be able to support them in many different ways, not just improving their dorsiflexion so they get a better heel strike. You know, like you, you really have to find what motivates them and to really try and pull them into their their optimal wellness. And again, it's not just physical. This gives me such hope because my biggest issue with the healthcare system is when you go see a doctor or you go see a clinician, sometimes it feels like they don't care about you. They're like, all right, this, then all right, do this. So I love the fact that this exists, that people like you, clinicians like you, actually care about the whole person and care about the big picture. Yeah, and we do, we do. And oftentimes I feel like when I'm getting frustrated with my patients, I'm like, I should not care more about you than you do. <laughs> like you need to participate in your care. <laughs> so when you go into treating a patient for the first time and you talk about therapeutic difficulty, which is breaking down all of these barriers, how do you not scare a patient? Because I'm sure they come in, maybe if they're being treated for the first time with a lot of preconceived notions. So how do you not scare a patient? Um, I think it might be a good time to actually talk about like the the big four pillars of what makes a good, you know, alliance with the patient. So kind of like basically show that you're there with them. Like, so this is something that I saw. From, now, are these your uh, four pillars, Harrison? No, no, no. These aren't four pillars. This is actually really good. You should have, um, you should have taken credit for it. You should have taken credit <laughs> for oh, it. Oh, no, no. I, that was my yeah, bad. It's all, I, him. No, it's all These him. are my four <laughs> pillars, actually. Whatever, <laughs> these are mine. Okay? So... All original ideas. So um, four pillars that that basically establish a good like initial visit with the patient. You're present, you're receptive, you're genuine, and you're committed. So if you can establish all of those right when you see someone, it should kind of, you know, reel it back. It should make the patient feel more comfortable and it makes them there know that we're there for them. So again, it's present, receptive genuine and committed so that's the biggest thing like you know they don't know what to expect i so, feel like those could be the four pillars of friendship yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's that's very true it's like hey i'm i'm gonna be i'm gonna be so genuine for you that's right genuineness i can't be no does everyone but, like this fills me with hope do all clinicians <laughs> think this way or should all I, clinicians think this way Yes, yeah, I think all yeah, clinicians sure. should. I know when I was in school, you know, because again, I'm an older clinician, it was this concept of unconditional positive regard that you should treat all of your patients and all of the people you interact with, with unconditional positive regard. And I think that that is another way to sort of define therapeutic alliance. But really 
what Harrison is saying is it's more complex than just being nice to people. You know, like you really have to feel like you're on the same team, that you want them to get better, that they know that you have a genuine caring for them. And and I, I think another thing that was interesting uh, in these therapeutic alliance courses that we looked at on MedBridge is the concept of people go to physical therapy. They don't have a physical therapist. And I would say at Fox, I don't feel that way. Frequently people are like, well, you're my physical therapist. And, and they're on the phone with their loved one and they're like, oh, Rachel, my physical therapist is here. You know, like it doesn't feel like they're going. Now, part of that is because we come to their home, but it's also just a different relationship that we have at Fox. I think that we do sort of become friends frequently with our patients. It, it truly is an alliance. Yeah. So yeah. I, I want to ask you about working with a difficult patient, quote unquote, difficult patient. Do you have any examples of how you won over a difficult patient? I think you just said you had one uh, just yesterday, right, Rachel? <laughs> you said <Yes>. it. <laughs> yeah, we, we were chatting on the phone before we joined you on this call, Jim, and um I evaluated someone yesterday who has a history of uh, trauma. She started with significant medical problems in her 20s. She's now in her early to mid 60s. And she had a lot of passive aggressive behaviors, a lot of, um, you know, self doubt. And I can't, I can't, I can't. And when I would talk to her daughter, her daughter's like, she says she can't, but she can. And I said, well, you know, it's sometimes when I think you've gone through life and nobody values you, you don't value you. And so it's my job to try and facilitate better self-worth, which isn't something I thought I would do as a PT. But if you, again, don't have that person invested in their own wellness, it doesn't matter how great your therapy is, they're not going to retain it. So I, I think part of what I was trying to do yesterday was just let her talk. But in the future, I need to sort of balance that out with what else we need to do during a therapy session. Now, currently, I also have a student working with me, so I let her do more of the physical exam, but I was very proud of my student yesterday because as we were wrapping up, she validated something the patient was complaining about. Um, I should say reporting. We say the word complaint. We mean report. The patient had been in the hospital. She has an internal defibrillator, and it went off, and when she like came to, she was just in great duress and got the whole like, oh, you're okay, you're okay. And she now has nightmares about it. And my student said, that must have been really scary. I understand how you would still have nightmares. And I was like, perfect. <laughs> you're like, so, like empathy, yay, you're learning empathy, empathy on the job. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you're understanding that even though you didn't have that experience, you have to validate that patient's experience so that you can then try to pull them into the physical therapy goals of getting them more functionally well. So Rachel and Harrison, what you're saying today is physical therapy is more than just physical. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Research shows that like the first, you know, few visits are like the most important of the entire plan of care for building a relationship. So doing that at the start is like one of the best things you can uh, feasibly do. And like hearing that new patient, like you, that you're listening, caring for them is so great. So it's, that's what really matters most. That's, I was just going to throw that in. <laughs> no, no, that's great. All right. Last question to wrap this up. 
Then we'll take a break, and I have some other questions to ask you outside of Therapeutic Alliance. Okay. Um, in school, how much of this is discussed? That's that's a good question. Um, I would probably say, as someone who you know just got fresh from school not too long ago, they do make it a point in school to talk about you know building a good relationship with the patient. Um, is it something they? You know, obviously it's something that it's like good for us to do, but they do they linger on it for super long? Not too much. It's more so of like, you know, the technical aspects, especially when I was in school. So it's like the, the big portion is like, you know, going from there and just like providing the exact stuff that you learned to help the patient. But the biggest experience that I got when I was trying to learn about, you know, building a relationship was mostly from the clinical experience, like the clinical rotations. We all have to do rotations in order to, you know, get our license. So I think right when you get on there, that's where I learned it most because it's like right when I started, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing when I talk to the patient. So it's, <laughs> I remember that when I first got in, I was like, hi, I'm Harrison, the PT student. And then it's like, yeah. And then, <laughs> so and then it's like you evolve with it, like, oh, okay, I should have just, you know, talked to them like a normal person. Like they are people. So probably in some a long story long, not as much as I think, not as much as I feel like they should. <laughs> yeah, and I, I would echo that. I think that I got elements of this when I was in school. Like we did talk about asking for permission before you put your hands on someone, you know, asking for a patient goal, but therapeutic alliance definitely takes it much farther. And like, you know, asking the patient, what would make physical therapy successful for you? That's a very different question than what's your goal. And, um, you know, with therapeutic alliance, particularly in a traditional outpatient setting, if you're losing your patients after your first visit or your third visit, how much better did you get them? If they're not yeah. feeling connected yes. to you, yes, uh, you know, like the only reason I think a lot of outpatient clinics stay in business based on this concept of therapeutic alliance is because they have volume. But going back to what I learned in school, I don't think I learned this concept specifically in school. That's one reason I was attracted to it. When I went to school, my undergrad was psychology because I thought, ah. well, if I don't get into PT school, I really like counseling. I really like the idea of, you know, helping people that way. And you're, and I, and you're I, using the longer that. I, yeah, the longer I'm a PT, I'm like, that was such a good decision. <laughs> <laughs> so, so younger clinicians, really yes, younger clinicians need to listen to this podcast because, you know, I have a 95-year-old grandmother and compassion is very important. Like, and, sure. if you don't connect, and if you don't connect with your patient, like you said, you're not going to reach those goals in the end. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I just had a patient ask for discharge. And I don't think it's because we weren't building therapeutic alliance. I just think that she's overwhelmed by her own life right now. And she still drives and like she still went for a family weekend to make kiffles and they made 550 kiffles. And like she let us come back one more time so we could taste the kiffles. And then she's <laughs> like, I can't do this right now. And I'm like, okay. And so she wants to go to a chair yoga class in January. And so I said, I understand. I, that's great that you're going to do that with your daughter. But I really think that you need individualized, skilled care. So if it doesn't work out, please remember, Fox is still here if you think that would work for you. You know, you can't always change everyone's mind. You can't always keep them in physical therapy for lots of different reasons. And it's okay mm -hmm. to, to validate the decision that they're making, but also remind them like we're still here. And that's also part of 
Therapeutic Alliance is making sure they know how to reach you, whether you're currently working with them or you are discharging them. And uh, Harrison, before we wrap this up, can you give the four pillars again? Present, committed, genuine, and receptive. There you go. When in, when in doubt, practice those four pillars. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll wrap up this episode of the Live Better Longer podcast with Harrison and Rachel. All right. So as we take a quick break, just a reminder that we are still celebrating Physical Therapy Month all month long. We are talking with two PTs today. And right now, I want to tell you about one of my favorite PTs, Dr. Carol B. Lewis. She has a new webinar. It's called Decrease Your Workload and Still Give Great Care. It's a live interactive webinar happening on Saturday, December 9th, 12 to 3 p.m. East. And let me just read straight from the flyer. It says, this fun-filled course is not like any you have seen. Dr. Carol B. Lewis and Dr. Aaron Baldridge from Fox Rehabilitation will have a conversation about experience and evidence that will help you decrease your workload and enjoy your work. From hints to do during an initial evaluation to suggestions for efficiency every visit, these two will have a lively discourse on what may help. They will discuss quick and effective evaluations and treatments and documentation hints that will help you use your time more wisely. Dr. Lewis is an avid reviewer of the most recent research-based treatment techniques and is always striving to find the ones that give you the best results efficiently. You will walk away with some new ideas and insights. For example, a quick and easy way to prevent your patients with Parkinson's disease from freezing when turning and many more. So if you're interested in attending this webinar, you can register by going to greatseminarsonline.com and you can save $10 with the code WEBINAR10. That is webinar and then one zero. We are back on Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast. I am chatting with Harrison Kirch and Rachel Glazer Cherwadi, physical therapists for Fox Rehabilitation in the Lehigh Valley, correct, of Pennsylvania? Yes. yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Allentown area, yeah. Do, uh, do you go to the Kutztown Folk Festival? I've gone once. <laughs> Maybe twice. Maybe twice. That that was not enthusiastic. (laughs) Well, I love looking at the quilts and and hearing about the culture, but it's also really hot. It is. Yeah. It happens (laughs) in in July. It happens in the middle of the summer. And the main portion of it, there isn't a lot of shade. Uh, But this is a question. Now, Harrison, have you gone to the Kutztown Folk Festival? That, this was, this was, see, now, now I'm going to talk about this, my friends, because they always invite me and I'm like, uh, I don't know if I can make it to the Kutztown Festival today. So I, now I need to know, now I'm going to be like, Hey, I, I should have went there to provide content. So now I didn't go, now I can't provide content. Thank you. Actually, it's on me. So now, so next time, if I want to go to the festival, I need to remember this might be good for content one day. But, yes. So, yeah. All right. So. Sounds like you're not like super huge fans of the the Kutztown Folk Festival. 
So we're talking about music fest though. I've been there. The, now what's that? Music, music fest? fest in Bethlehem. Oh, uh, t- take me through this. Oh, music How fest. How long is it now? Two weeks. Two weeks. What? I think it's like fourteen days, and music, there yeah, are music. pay venues and free venues, and it's been going on since I was a kid. And uh, it used to be like a lot of polka music, but now there's just lots of different kinds of music, lots of food vendors, ooh, things ooh. for kids to do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very popular. So they get like big names there. They get like big name people. Yeah, like who there, do they? Like who would they get? They get. I remember there was like just they they get like a list people to go. I know like over the past few years it hasn't been as much just because of like COVID. So I don't think they get as many people. But I remember they just got like people like. Uh, I'm trying to think who they got this year. I know the one year they got like Bon Jovi and people like that to go. Oh, there. that's big. Yeah. All yeah, right. They, they do big people there. Rachel and Harrison, when you are not treating patients, what do you do for fun? <laughs> I, I'm active in my church, and uh, Harrison got to hear me sing this last week, and he looked at oh, me yeah. and was like, "Are you a professional singer?" And I was like, "I was like, what, what do you do? No, like, I'm a professional <laughs> physical therapist." Wait, wait. <laughs> like, I know what I do. But wait, Rachel, you sing? <laughs> yeah, I like to sing. So I'm in the church choir. What, what kind of and... stuff do you like to sing? So you sing choir stuff. Anything yeah. else like show tunes? Uh, I can, but oh. I would say usually it's more stuff at church. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm going to write that down because <laughs> I always have devious, pro- well, not devious, but I always have Ooh, projects maybe, that come up and I, I yeah, may be able to you use you. develop a Fox Diddy. That would be fun. Well, jingles. Well, yeah. well, you know what? <laughs> it is the 25th anniversary of Fox. And I yeah. was thinking of making like a collection of 25th anniversary songs. So Fun. if if I did do this, <laughs> would you partake sure. in one of these songs? Sure. I will say that I feel much more confident singing in a choir, but I can do it. Okay. All right. Well, I would maybe we'd get a couple people to sing with you, so you wouldn't have to do it alone. Sure. All I'm right. sure I'm not the only one at Fox who sings. No, you're not. What, no, thousands, you're not. Thousands of clinicians. Yes. Now, so. No, you're not. You're not. All right. Yeah. So, Rachel, I'm earmarking you for a, a possible 25th anniversary song. Yeah, sure. All right, Harrison, how about you? What do you do I, for fun? I don't. I don't sing, so I can't say that. <laughs> I do that. So, That's not um, true. I heard you last Tuesday. <laughs> So I can just say what I do for fun is just not singing. Okay. That's like, okay. but no, um, what I do, um, usually what I do for fun is I'm, I'm still a big person that I, I love exploring the Valley. I love exploring like different restaurants. So I admittedly go out to eat, uh, at least like once a week and just even something small. Um, but I do like playing video games with my friends and I do like playing, you know, um, cards, like cards competitively. So I do like, um, doing that so that's usually what i like doing for fun like are you talking old school card games with like heart spades clubs or like the new school card games like pokemon and what's the uh, one with the exploding Magic. kitty or whatever okay yeah oh both both, both. both. I okay both. <laughs> so I, I do so i do a mix of both so it's like well, whatever there's like a card game like your friends like to go let's go into this one it's like okay, okay now have sure. you <laughs> have you ever gone to one of those places to play cards because i've seen those pop up in the malls now where it's an actual well, store where you go in and you will play cards with other people oh yeah totally for okay. sure All right. for sure yeah that's a thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> rachel oh, yeah. rachel just oh, gave yeah. you a look like what like that exists yeah, that's, never even that, heard of that <laughs> no like there's that's a whole it's a it's a whole culture. Yes, it's a whole culture like there's sure. tables set oh, yeah. up, and you can go oh, yeah. in and play card games against other people. Oh, oh yeah, 
Oh yeah, those those things, and they last hours. I've been in one of those places for like five, six hours. <laughs> wow. that. That's a commitment. They, they, they are. Oh yeah, it's you know, it's a whole different culture <laughs> there. I'm whole bag of beans, and you know those those people are interesting. To say the you least. should bring uh, Rachel. You should bring Rachel to one of those this year. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> okay, you have to teach me the game before we get there. Yes, yeah, so let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. hey, thank you, thank you for the time today. I appreciate it. Yeah, this was awesome. This was great. And then I just, I love what you're doing with patients because I think it's so important, like to look at the big picture instead of just the functional stuff. Right, right. All right. And I I think it's all about better outcomes. You know, if if they're not going to buy into the benefit of you as the therapist and physical therapy as the discipline, although it's any discipline, really, right? We have PT, OT, SLP. If they're not going to, really be on board and you're not looking at them as a whole person, they're, they're not going to make the achievements that you're hoping for. Amen mm-hmm. to that. Just as a, another quick side, like we work with a lot of people who are, are not cognitively normal. So you can be empathetic to anyone and they mm-hmm. don't need to remember who you are, but they will build an emotional connection with you. So if you build that emotional connection with them, you're going to have a better outcome. So it's not mm-hmm. just for the people we're seeing in a, outpatient house call environment it's for everyone that we work with so uh before we go you said that this was your first podcast mm-hmm. yes well played harrison and Aww. rachel well played thanks thank you so, that's awesome so for harrison kirch and rachel glazer Cherwadi, my name is jim Shear, and we will see yins later <laughs> <laughs>